census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Rayhold, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. We are here from Magenta Manor in the in the uh, Pat Cave, and we are brought to you by the Dorkening Podcast Network and Deadly Grounds Coffee. I am here, of course, not by myself. I am joined by my co-host on the show and my co-host in life. She is <gasps> the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Queen Regent of Rosé. The Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of Wine, the Queen of the Monsters, and an honorary Lizzie, ladies and gentlemen, Ashes One Nightmare. I don't know about you, Miss Kitty, but I feel so much crummier. Mm, Kitty wants some candy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this week we will be discussing, uh, because of his triumphant return to the role, we are going to be discussing Michael Keaton as Batman, and uh, we just, uh, the last few days, watched... Uh, the 1989 and 1992 Tim Burton films. And uh, I got to tell you, watching the second one, I was like, man, these guys are definitely working on this and Nightmare Before Christmas at the same time. Uh, Not just Tim Burton, but Danny Elfman as well and Paul Rubens, uh, who also crossed over in this one uh, at the very beginning. No speaking lines, but, uh, you know, um, very interesting. A lot of... uh, a lot of cool cameos in this, including Sean Whalen as the newspaper boy and uh, Doug Jones in one of his first roles as a skinny clown, which, uh, boy, he never did that role again, especially not in, like, Legion, although he was really more of an ice cream man, but he was kind of dressed like a Harlequin, mm. you know. But, yeah, we are going to be discussing uh, Michael Keaton as Batman in part of our uh, very irregularly produced Batman episodes uh, because we've already... I mean, we said we would get to them all well, eventually. Yeah. Well, I mean, we did like three this of them is in eventually. a row. And this is like... Because we were going to talk about The Flash, but we haven't seen The Flash, so we're just like, let's just talk about Bruce Wayne Batman as portrayed by Michael Keaton. Um, because much like what we saw in uh, the casting of every other Batman... There was a ton of fan backlash, but we'll get to that uh, in the main discussion. But this uh, series of two films uh, really gave us some of our most iconic portrayals of classic Batman villains, from Jack Nicholson as the Joker, Danny DeVito as the Penguin, and Michelle Pfeiffer as... uh, Uh, Or as they said in the Honest trailer, Cat Scratch Pfeiffer, as Catwoman slash Selina Kyle. um, These were some of the best. Like, you want to talk about a dark, gritty reboot of Batman. Like, this is darker. Like, I'd say more 
surrealistic. This, for me, was kind of the best of both worlds. You get that super campy aspect to it, but you also have like that dark, gritty undertone that we... It, honestly, it was very Tim Burton. Batman loves killing people. He's like, oh boy, here I go, see, kill him I again. I like that. I like a murderous Batman. I like my Batman with a side of murder. See, and a lot of people will be like, oh, Batman doesn't kill people. No, no, no. I mean, like, I played the... Uh, the Arkham games, and you know, you definitely don't kill people when you hit them with the fucking bat tank at 130 miles an hour. They just bounce off and they're fine. They're just sleeping at a farm upstate. Yeah. So, like, oh, yeah, let me throw these razor edged batarangs in your face 40 times and then pummel you into fucking oblivion with my giant electric gauntlets. And just pound your face into the pavement until you, you know, develop a speech impediment. But I didn't kill you. You know, you're in a coma for the next month. And, like, when you wake up, you don't know math and don't recognize faces anymore. But and hey, you've accru- yeah, and you've accrued, like, a hell of a lot of hospital bills. But, hey, you're still here. We, we you're found not out, dead. We found out the guy who knew the guy who knew the guy where the tanker was being stolen from. And we got there just in time to blow it up and definitely not kill any other people. But that made us think, for our getting into character question, who are some of your favorite portrayals of Batman villains or Batman's rogues galleries? Because Catwoman's not always a villain. Um, And so I'll let you take that, because I I think I know where you're going to go, especially where uh, one of your people is going to be uh, signing autographs in November. So, yeah. So, obviously, my favorite Batman villain, rogue character, Batman sidekick at times, uh, Batman lover, Foil. Um, is, is Catwoman. I love Catwoman so much. I think she's just fierce and she's just, she's sexy and she's cool and she's vampy, but at the same time, she's really resourceful and flexible and you can never count her out. And there have been, I would say there have been more portrayals of Catwoman than there have of Batman in, you know, TV and, and video games and media because, I mean, we had three different Catwomen just in the 1966 series. Right. And though each of those portrayals, I mean, my favorite is obviously Julie Newmar. She will always be the Catwoman for me. Um, but, you know, you have Lee Merriweather who did it in the, um, in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then you had Eartha Kitt who took over for Julie Newmar. Yes, but wasn't and in the movie. Eartha Kitt was fantastic. Oh, she, did a great she has job. this just natural, like, uh, gravel growl to her voice. And she had the ability to easily roll her R's so she could just, oh, uh, it, it literally sounds like she's purring when she speaks it's just it's hypnotic it's so good so you know i i love that uh but like i said julie newmar will always be catwoman for me uh but however i think my my second favorite is michelle pfeiffer's catwoman i love the slightly psychotic crazy Catwoman that we get with Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, She's a little all over the place. She's manic. Uh, 
you know, we see her backstory and she would be a great character to talk about because there's a lot there, you know, and that's kind of what I love with these films too, is you get to see the uh, origin story of the Joker, how, how Jack Napier becomes the Joker, how Selena Kyle becomes Catwoman, how Oswald Cobblepot becomes the Penguin. Again, uh, as we have seen in other, uh, other medium, or other media, I should say, um, changing the backstory of the villains to suit the details of the director's narrative. Because everybody's got, like, you know, the Joker has multiple backstories. I mean, look at Heath Ledger. You know, look at, you know, I mean, we don't really get to see Jared Leto's version or, you know, clearly not Cesar Romero's. But this was very similar to the Under the Red Hood uh, uh, storyline that we got to see uh, where, you know, Jack was, or his name, I think for that was like Joe Kerr, you know, like they, you know, of course and then, it was. And then they came up with that. There's actually three Jokers, so we can explain everything. Like, there's a lot of weird retconning that uh, is commonplace nowadays that in 1989, I don't think was as prevalent as it is now, where, you know, you're not switching writers so much. Uh, the one thing that did stay consistent was that Bill Finger got no credit for creating Batman until after his death. So uh, there's that. So they they stayed they stayed uh, uh, consistent there in in Burton's versions. But you were saying? I was saying there's a there's a layer of likability <clears throat> that Michelle Pfeiffer brings to the Catwoman character. Not saying that the others don't have it. Again, it's just this kind of craziness nuanced with, uh, you know, who she was before she died and became Catwoman and was brought back to life, you know, in a... It was almost like a very Spider-Man-esque type way. Like, uh, I was... Bitten I by died a radioactive and, cat. Yeah. <laughs> now I have cat-like reflexes, and I have I nine can lives. So like a cat. And I can so <laughs> like Like in the, 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 uh, the pitch meeting. You, you know, know, all like, of a sudden, she's drinking milk right out of the carton. Like a cat. Like a cat. Like a cat does. She gave her cat milk and probably diarrhea. But but here's the thing. There's something so fantastical about all the way that these characters are presented in these two films. It's totally, completely unrealistic, and I love that. I love that campy aspect. I love, you know, uh, underlined uh, with that grittiness. I think it's just perfect. I I love it so much. And I do want to take a moment to talk about her costume because it is so good like it is so good i love the classic 1960s catwoman you know um cat suit with the belt and the hair and the ears and everything like that is that is that is perfection to me but again imperfection uh but there's something about like the vinyl latex that shiny black of michelle pfeiffer's catwoman costume mixed with the stitching this uh 
kind of it's just it's just so perfect and the claws i love the retractable claws i think that's probably my favorite part i want some um but yeah so for me it's definitely the catwoman villain type but julie newmar is it for me but michelle pfeiffer oh she's so good and to kind of sidestep a little bit um a debate that happens quite frequently is people talking about who is the better Joker. Now, rewatching this, I'm going to stand by my original opinion of of who I think is the best Joker. And I I wholeheartedly believe that it is Jack Nicholson. It's either Jack Nicholson or or uh, Mark Hamill. I mean, you know, Heath Ledger obviously did a fantastic job. He won an Oscar for it. You know, uh, very tragically lost his life because of it. Um, you know, that character is on a on another level completely. But when I think of the Joker, I think of Jack Nicholson. You know, if you want to say he was trying to do a parody of Cesar Romero or, you know, whatever, he was playing himself, like, say what you want. It is so good. He also brought that dark, scary. But this is like, he is absolutely terrifying as the Joker because you have no idea what he's going to do. Right. Even to the point where he he kills Bob. You know, spoilers for the 34-year-old movie. Um you know, like that was, and what's funny is he wouldn't do that job without that actor whose name escapes me, but he's been in like a million things. He played Lamar in The Silence of the Lambs in the scene where they find uh, Frederica Bimmel uh, and they unzip her in the, in the morgue. And he's like, Lamar, will you help me? Yes, sir, I will. Like that was, he's the guy who's like, no, sir, no, sir, that's a bug cocoon. Like that, he was that guy in Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Nicholson would not do the movie without him. And then ends up killing him in the movie. So for me, I mean, I loved Burgess Meredith as the penguin because he was fucking ridiculous. And like... He was like quacking. But like, he <laughs> he had this one... There was... And a I monocle. Yes, well, the monocle, I mean, Penguin always has the monocle, like, except for Danny DeVito, because he's fancy high says He had a monocle and a top hat. He was like the fish Monopoly guy. Um, He, there, there's, uh, I think it's in the movie where they're like, oh, hey, Batman, I'm just a regular citizen. Like, like, what's your name? P.N. Gwyn. And then Robin's like, I think P.N. Gwyn is the penguin. You know, chum, I think you're right. What tipped you off, world's greatest detective, the fact that he's holding an umbrella, has a monocle, and every time he talks, he quacks? Like, none of that threw you off? Or was it his stunningly creative, like, uh, 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 pseudonym? Yeah, I helped my friend hide on Tatooine. I told him to change his name from Obi-Wan to Ben. Kenobi is a super popular last name. Oh, Jesus. But, I mean, that's what the 66 Batman show was. Mm -hmm. Like, all that ridiculous shit. Like, the surf contest between Batman and the Joker. Oh, that's good times. That's the next one we're going to have to cover. We're going to have to watch, like, the entire 66 series. Luckily, we have it. 
but yeah. Oh no, that sounds like a terrible time. How will we ever get through it? You say that now, but like you will reach a point where like, holy shit, this is ridiculous. Like the one where it ends where Robin is hopping from one foot to the other because he's on a giant frying pan, which also has giant eggs and giant bacon on it. Well, what else would be in a giant frying pan? I just, what, what, where did they get the giant egg and the giant bacon? Like, a giant they... bird and a giant pig. Why are you asking such stupid questions uh, when the answers are right stuff there? Like that. They had dehydration rays. They didn't have, they didn't have, uh, giganticizing rays. It was dehydration rays. Yeah. They turned people into dust and then mixed all the dust together and then they had to separate it all out. Oh, it was ridiculous. That was P.N. Gwyn's doing. Because they, they invited him back to the bat cave and they're like, Meh, we can take care of him. He's like, me, 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 me. Because he, he was a penguin. Um, so, uh, for me... I would have to say I did like Frank Gorshin as the Riddler much better than I liked uh, Jim Carrey as the Riddler. Um, I did like Paul Dano's version, but like I'm a huge fan of Paul Dano to begin with. But he wasn't really the Riddler to me. Well, he hadn't. Yeah, like he hadn't actually become the Riddler yet like that was that was almost like the riddler's origin story yeah um i will say um one thing i appreciated about the uh the portrayal of batman was that or in in these uh, in the burton films was that they only showed his origin story once but we'll get into that in the in the main discussion but yeah, I, I, obviously Mark Hamill, like the uh, all the different voice actors that were on uh, Batman the Animated Series, because that's that in the '66 films uh, uh, series is what I grew up with. So like that's really like my my best memories. But you know, as far as who is a good like villain. Um, you know Michelle Pfeiffer's version. I, I think it's just the like the Burton versions for me. I did like Tommy Lee Jones as Two Face, but he was way too over the top and cartoony, which is really not at all how like Aaron Eckhart's performance is more the way I picture Two Face. Um, I didn't care for uh, what's his name, Colin Farrell as the Penguin. Like it was good prosthetics, but. Uh, like it was, it was more realistic. Like he wasn't a weird, deformed fish man. But I don't know. So we want you to tell us what your favorites were. Let us know at Throwdown Thursday Podcast at Gmail dot com, or let us know in the comments section underneath the episode. Uh, we're very curious to find out what your uh, what your thoughts and feelings are on your favorite Batman. Uh, villain portrayals. Did you like Tom Hardy as Bane? I didn't care for his voice. <laughs> Fire rises. Uh, like, I mean, Tom Hardy does can have a weird voice depending on like what character he's playing. But like, this is a little over the top. Um, did you care for uh, which which version of Catwoman is your favorite? You know, was it Anne Hathaway? Was it Zoe Kravitz? Was it 
you know. Holly Berry. Halle Berry. Ugh. You know? <laughs> How about Harley Quinn? Did you, you know, who do you like uh, her various portrayals across different media? The animated version of Harley Quinn is pretty fantastic. Um, oh, well, that too. I was thinking the Batman animated series. Yeah, that's what I figured. Uh, but no, the new Harley Quinn is fantastic. And I think that, um, oh God, um, Lake Bell does the voice of Poison Ivy. Yes, and she I think does the two great, of them, the like, two of like, them are amazing a, together. Fantastic. We haven't watched the most recent season. We should do that we at should. some point. Um, but I've I've loved what we've seen so far. That's yeah, that's actually really fantastic. Um, I do think that the you know live action um, the Margot Robbie portrayal of Harley Quinn is just phenomenal. I mean, in the three films that she's done it, she's done a really great job. Yeah, I agree. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss Michael Keaton as uh, he portrayed Batman in the 1989 and 1992 films. Uh, We're not going to get into The Flash much, uh, except to talk a little bit about the references and whatnot. He's there. Yes. But, uh, yeah, we'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, Get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Gotham City. Nice outfit. You look fine. I didn't ask. I have given a name to my pain. What are you? I'm Batman. My life is really Ah! complex. Winged freak terrorizes. Wait till they get a load of me.
All right, and we are back. That, of course, was the trailer to the 1989 Batman film. Uh, you'll notice there's not a lot of music in the background, which is odd until, like, towards the end, as opposed to, you know, modern trailers. Even the trailer you'll hear for the 92 uh, Batman Returns film, there is a, a significant amount of music that gets played throughout that. And I think that's kind of a, um, a disservice to uh, Danny Elfman's amazing theme, which is essentially the same theme that they used in the animated series. but Well, uh, I mean, yeah, it pretty much is. And Batman 1989 uh, was pretty much the inspiration behind Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, they were able to capitalize on the popularity. And uh, although I think the 89... Uh, I mean, the, the, the cartoon series definitely was far superior to... The second two movies it wasn't nearly as dark or as gritty. They actually did the Bane storyline, but uh, changed it to make Batman beat Bane, um, which was weird. Um, but yeah, so when Michael Keaton was first announced that he was going to be portraying both Bruce Wayne and Batman, the nerd out, out uh, outrage was real. Very similar to Robert Pattinson being announced as Batman. Very similar to Ben Affleck being announced as Batman. Because be like, I can't see this guy do it. Oh, you know, like, because what had he done? He went from, again, t another Tim Burton film. He went from Beetlejuice to this. Well, Beetlejuice is kind of what got him the job for this. So, 50 thousand protest letters were sent to Warner Brothers Studios upon All from the, six guys <laughs> probably uh, upon announcing that Michael Keaton would play Batman now a variety of A-listers were considered for the role including Mel Gibson Kevin Costner Charlie Sheen Tom Selleck Bill Murray Harrison Ford and Dennis Quaid now I could see Bill Murray as Bruce Wayne. And the Warner Brothers studio had actually already approached Pierce Brosnan to play the character. Nah, nah I, he's never done a an American accent that I'm aware of in anything I've ever seen him in. So the studio pressured Tim Burton into casting a known actor. Apparently, Tim Burton was interested in casting another unknown actor uh, named Willem Dafoe. Have you ever heard of him? I would have liked to have seen Willem Dafoe as the Joker. Like, And there were a lot of those like... Uh, photoshops going around. Willem Dafoe as the Joker would have been phenomenal. So producer John Peters suggested Michael Keaton, arguing he had the right, quote, edgy, tormented quality after having seen his dramatic performances in Clean and Sober. And having directed Keaton in Beetlejuice, Tim Burton agreed. And that's how Michael Keaton got the role. Yeah, and he was clearly the right choice. And uh, Michael Keaton, he was not a fan, a, a Batman fan at all. Uh, I think he is now. I would um, say so. You know, uh, he really. I don't. You could tell. You can tell when an actor is really feeling themselves in a specific role. Uh, and Michael Keaton was definitely definitely feeling himself as Batman. Yeah, I think he. He chose a, a good role to really 
show what he could do because there wasn't a lot of fighting so much. Like he didn't have to do a lot of fight choreography. Um, and they definitely took some of the, uh, you know, most common complaints and um, kind of made fun of them in subsequent reimaginings, like, you know, how he couldn't turn his head. He wants to be able to turn his head on it, you know, on, you know, without having to turn his whole body to face a bad guy. You know, they did that in the Christian Bale version. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I mean that was kind of funny the whole I'm Batman like well and he came up with that too because apparently the original line in the script was I am the knight I mean I like I mean they used that in uh in the um Kevin Conroy's version in Yeah so the line became part of I am vengeance I am, vengeance, I am, I am the, knight. the knight I am Batman uh there was also a a, a comic where he's like, I'm the goddamn Batman. So they kind of took that. But for those who remember those old Snickers commercial, uh, there was a guy, and again, showing you the difference of the time, uh, a football player got fucking annihilated and got a concussion. And he was like, who are you? And he's like, you know, where are you? I'm in the game. You know, who am I? Your coach. Well, who are you? I'm Batman. Like, and he was running around, like, jumping on cheerleaders and, like, leaping off of benches and shit. And it's like, you're not you when you're hungry, or, like, something along those lines. Like, it was like a Snickers commercial, or. But the guy clearly had a concussion, you know, and, like, they gave him a Snickers and he was cured. So, pretty much what they did in the NFL in the late 80s and early 90s, anyways. Um, but yeah, like, it, it became this iconic line delivery you know like i am your father like that line like it was so good and like they just keep using it and like i alluded to uh, before the break this one of the things that they brought back uh in in the trailer for the flash he's like yeah i'm batman like obviously a very different line delivery but he had like you were saying that like tortured soul gravitas where you could tell he never really learned how to acclimate to his lifestyle where he's like walking around like you know sticking pens in like various things and watching this version of batman because you know we've seen we're we're getting different Batman at different stages of their lives at this point, you know? So Batfleck is, you know, the older weathered Batman. Uh, Robert Pattinson is the younger, um, you know, I'm just coming into my own Batman. And it's truly believable. And, you know, if you're trying to, if you're trying to put timelines together, it is truly believable that the Robert Patman, Patman, well, the Robert Pattinson Batman could grow up to be Michael Keaton. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. Um, 
I don't see him turning into Ben Affleck, but I... No, but I'm just like, when you're trying to put, you know, timelines and whatnot together, like, if you're you're trying to kind of piece some of this, you know, uh, make it make sense a little bit more, or, you know, because like I said, you know, we we do have these Batmen at different stages of their lives, you know, like, it's, to me, it's very believable that one could grow up to the other, because, and this is where Michael Keaton's comedic timing comes, comes into, into play, um, he has this dark humor quality about him that lent itself really well to Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Um, he Like when he's showing Vicki Vale, like he's showing the people around the house and he's like, Oh, I've never been in this room before. Yeah, when they're eating when they're eating soup. Yes. Oh, yes. All, over like the giant table and it's like, Well, this is how rich people are supposed to be and he's like, Yeah, I don't think I've ever been in this room before. Like he might not be joking. Like it's that, but but his delivery was just so on point, right? And that's I think where they could have considered somebody like I could see Bill Murray giving delivering that line, or Dennis Quaid, or um, Harrison Ford. I've never trusted a woman enough to buy her a set of knives before. I never, I never, yeah, I never, uh, I never liked a woman enough to get her twelve sharp knives before. That's it. Yes. Uh, See, you knew where I was going. No, I knew what you were saying, but like that—that's that same delivery. Like, yes, you know. So I could have seen him deliver that line. Could I have seen him as Batman? Absolutely not. Like, so we've had this conversation when we talk about each Batman portrayal, Bruce Wayne portrayal, as to who is the best Bruce Wayne and who is the best Batman. Now, you know, some actors great. Bruce Wayne, terrible Batman, and vice versa. Terrible Bruce Wayne, but very convincing Batman. I think, and again, this is just my opinion, I think Michael Keaton is the most well-rounded of both. Yeah. He is the most believable of both. I believe him as Bruce Wayne. I think he's a fabulous Bruce Wayne, and I think he may be my favorite Batman. Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely up there. Like, he's one of those those um those guys that like really nailed the role and I really couldn't envision someone else taking over like when Clooney and Kilmer tried to take over that specific Batman and that specific Bruce Wayne set in that world with still like the Tim Burton-esque landscape around him they didn't fit like they would have been fine if they weren't trying to be him. Well, I mean, so what what happened was, uh, so Batman Returns didn't do as well as the studio has hoped. It definitely didn't do as well initially as Batman 1989. So they were going to s- sign Burton on to do, this was supposed to be a trilogy. I mean, initially it wasn't. Initially, Burton just wanted to do the one film, but then they approached him about doing a sequel and then, round, you know, rounding out the, the, the trilogy. So he signed on for a sequel and then obviously Keaton signed on for a sequel. The sequel didn't do so hot, again, initially, or as well as the studio had wanted it to do. It didn't have the major success and there were a lot of issues with the second one because they gave Tim Burton more creative freedom yeah, and see at in this the point, second one, and mm-hmm. he, you know, so that's why there's a a, a slight shift in tone from the first it's to the second. It's a lot darker. There's a lot more explodey death guys, but like this was also a time where 
a studio would be happy. It's like, all right, we spent eight million dollars, we made twelve million. All right, this is a success. As opposed to now, it's like we spent eighty million dollars on this. If we don't make four hundred million. We're so screwed. We're in financial ruin. We spent $150 million on this movie. If we don't make a billion worldwide, we're so screwed. Like, that's, you know, you don't need, you didn't need to make a billion dollars on your movie, but you also didn't have a $100 million budget at the time. Right. But not only that, you also had other guys in your pocket. So, you know, the toy makers and McDonald's, who was, you know, banking on being able to sell toys well, I mean, in their Happy Meals and whatnot. I mean, 10 years later, you know, or, or put it this way, five years earlier, uh, Transformers killed off a bunch of people in their movies, or a bunch of robots, just for the sole purpose of selling more toys. Like, that's all these were, were commercials for toys. You know, 10 years later, you know, after the first Keaton Batman, you know, we get uh, The Phantom Menace and George Lucas had a $400 million deal just for the uh, merchandising rights. Merchandising. I mean, you know, Mel Brooks wasn't lying when he said that's where the real, like, the reason there is a Cars 2 is that Cars, while not successfully uh, commercially... The merchandise made over $10 billion. Mm -hmm. So they're like, gotta make another one of these. You know, not because the movie was good or anyone wanted it, but because it's a chance to make more money in merchandise. Cars to the flamethrower. Yeah, right? <laughs> the kids love that one. But, like, that's the reason why a lot of these movies were made. Like, the whole... Like, we talked about this in our Joel Schumacher series when we talked about, you know, the Clooney and Kilmer versions, like, the opening of the Kilmer one, he's like, oh, you didn't eat anything. He's like, I'll get drive through It's like, yeah, because it's but, everything, like, McDonald's said, these are the toys we're making incorporated into the movie. Well, and that's just it. Tim Burton didn't necessarily want to play nice with everybody else who had their hands in the pockets he wanted to you know he wanted he wanted his creative vision to come through and that's why you know it was deemed too um family unfriendly yeah because and everybody they didn't, they was didn't like that and, and so he, right you know attempted infanticide and like the death scene of Danny DeVito's penguin like or Max Shrek getting electro make outed, mm -hmm. you know, like, and there was a lot more sexualization, especially like coming from the penguin. Like, that dude was a horny little bastard. Oh, I mean, he's been down in the sewers for he's been 33 years. Why, <laughs> where do you think all those penguins came from? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that was just a little too much. I draw the line. Um, but even then, you know, and I will give Tim Burton credit. Um, up until that point, you know, Catwoman was really just see, uh, perceived as this sex symbol, and he wanted her to have more layers to her character. And then so he took away the layers and turned her into a sex symbol. Yes and no. Like, no, I understood. Yes. But she's also, like, fiercely independent. When she meets up with Bruce Wayne, 
at the Christmas party, what does she tell him? Hey, there's a king-size bed in the department store. Like, let's go bang on it. Like, yeah, she's she's living her best life. She is promiscuous I, and... But she doesn't do anybody. She just wants to hook up with with him and murder Max Shrek. Like, that's... I mean, same. I mean, and if you don't know who Max Shrek is, Max Shrek played Count Orloff in the 1920s Nosferatu. So, like, to have that character. And can we also shout out to the dude who played his son, who, again, his name escapes me, but he played Leatherface in one of the Texas Chainsaw sequels, um, doing a Christopher Walken (laughs) impression. In front of Christopher Walken. So good. Like, we're watching it. We're like, is he doing a Walken impression? Like, that's supposed to be, like, how close... Like, like, does that get passed on genetically? No, Dad, wait, don't. I'll fight the penguin. You go over there. Like, that's not genetic. Like, that's so weird, but so funny. And, like, part of that, like, camp. And I'll bet, like, I don't know this for a fact, but I would bet that's how he nailed the audition. Like, that would be the best thing. It's like, hi, I'm... Your son. Oh, my God. Like, no, that's John Travolta. Like, yeah, yeah, my see, walk-in is turning do, into John Travolta. You do you do walk-in a little too long. You're you, walking into John Travolta. You see, you know, you see yourself, you know, you can either live long enough to become John Travolta or cut your impression short and not be John Travolta. Yeah, that that should have been scripted. Uh, but we're not a scripted show, so that's just how it happens sometimes. I don't But make anyways, the studio was very displeased with, you know, everything that happened with Batman Returns. So that's why Tim Burton was not asked to return for the third and subsequently fourth film. Burton, and it Keaton, was you fired. Given to uh, Joel Schumacher. We'll and that's why, Schumacher. well, and that's why Keaton dropped out. He just did not like Joel Schumacher's vision. He didn't like the vision for the character. And it was getting a little too campy, a little too cartoony, and a little too um, outrageous. Now remember, you're going to be fighting Mr. Freeze, so it'll be cold, so we have to show your nipples. That's why they had nipples on the Batsuit, because it was so cold. So I was reading about the Batsuit. This is a good segue. Yeah, you're welcome. They wanted Batman to seem kind of larger than life and big and massive and hulking. And Michael Keaton is an average size dude. Like, there's nothing hulking or massive about him that I know of anyways. Um, So the designers decided to put that aspect in the bat suit. The bat suit that he wore weighed 50 pounds. And I believe the second one was a little bit lighter. Actually, the second one may have been 50 pounds. The first one, I'm not exactly sure. I think it was heavier, though. Um, They did rework the second one. The second one was a little bit more comfortable for him to wear, but he still couldn't move his head with the cowl on. But it was made to kind of give him that that mus- muscular and just kind of almost like a, a statuesque type of, of build. They should have just given him high heels or put him on an apple box like they do with, uh, you know, other people like Tom Cruise. Like, just give him lifts or, you know, again, 
don't show him standing there. Like, whatever they do for Danny Trejo, like, do they should have done that. But, I mean, the good thing is, well, I mean, good thing in hindsight is Michael Keaton is actually claustrophobic. And the way that the cowl fit and the way that the, the costume made him feel, it made him feel claustrophobic. So he was able to kind of work that fear into his character. Yeah, I, I mean, it's weird that Batman would be claustrophobic and uh, live in a cave. Well, I mean, it put the, the the costume put him in quote a dark Batman like mood, so he was able to use it to his advantage. Do you know which superhero is actually claustrophobic canonically in the comics? Storm. Storm is claustrophobic. I mean. I guess that makes sense. I mean, I don't see how that makes sense. Well, I, mean, I control she's... the weather, and also, I'm claustrophobic. I was bitten by a radioactive confined space when I was a child. <laughs> and that's how I got claustrophobia powers. I don't know. Like... Sure, yes. sure. Um, but but anyways, so I thought that was kind of interesting, you know, him kind of using that to his advantage to make Batman a little more dark and brooding. And and it was Michael Keaton's idea to have the vocal change between Bruce Wayne and Batman. That was a good Batman. That I'm Batman. That sounded like a because I'm Batman. The top kid on the of the three kids in a trench coat trying to yes i'm an adult i am definitely old enough to buy this liquor mm -hmm. i am not four muppets stacked on top of each other in a trench coat uh, three tickets for boobarama i mean one <laughs> just one because i'm batman uh but yeah it's uh it's a great portrayal and like we get to see him you know, like, people were up in arms uh, about Ben Affleck shooting people and having a shotgun in the trailer for Batman 5 Superman, but, like, Keaton straps a bomb to a guy and smiles when he kicks him into a hole and he explodes. He sets another guy on fire. He drops bombs at the feet of other dudes. Okay, and, and, and here's the thing, right? So... When talking about iconic Batman portrayals, Keaton is one of the first names that's thrown out there. But Batman really isn't in much of these films, especially the second one. Yeah, he has 31 minutes of screen time, which I think ranks 10th in various Batman portrayals, uh, different movies. Um, it's really the Catwoman and Penguin show. And in the first one, it's, it's, I mean, it's more so the Bruce Wayne Joker show. Yeah. I mean, it's a, there's a lot he spends of Bruce more Wayne. Yeah. He spends more time as Bruce Wayne than as, than as Batman. However, however, uh, makes the Batman scenes that much more interesting. And the Batmobile is really cool. Uh, so that kind of brings me back to what I was, uh, talking about prior to the break about every goddamn movie has to show Batman's origin story and when the 1989 film opens up you think what you're seeing is Batman's origin story but it's not it's just some other people that are getting mugged um, we do see Batman's origin story but like it's almost like a mystery like you know he 
blows off Vicky Vale so he could go and put flowers, uh, two roses on the spot where his parents were killed. But like nobody knows that like Thomas and Martha Wayne were killed in Crime Alley. Certainly not the reporters who worked the city. I mean, she was from out of town. I get it. But Knox, Robert Wool's character, he's from Gotham. Like, his whole thing is knowing everything about everybody. But, like, he didn't know about Thomas and Martha Wayne. Like, they didn't know who Bruce Wayne was when they saw him. What kind of people are we trying to uh, portray these reporters as? Because... Everybody knows Bruce Wayne. Everybody knows who, who, uh, you know, that he was an orphan. You know, Wayne Enterprises is like the big thing in the city. So I guess, you know, that was Burton's trying to be like, oh no, he's like this reclusive guy. Nobody knows who he is. And that's why no one knows he's Batman. But it's like in every other portrayal, like no one thinks he's Batman because he's always like off doing rich billionaire things. Like, you know, taking a sub to see, I don't know, let me pick a random shipwreck, uh, the Bismarck, or, you know, uh, the Lusitania. I mean, I can't think of any other subs that would go to a, another famous ship for no reason full of billionaires. But, you know, you know, he's always doing stuff. Like, he's going to go to space, you know, he's got his own satellites and, you know, you know, you know, stuff that billionaires do, abscond on his yacht and, you know, get attacked by orcas. Like, to be honest with you, the shit that's going on in real life right now sounds like it's being ripped straight from a, a, a Batman comic. Like, meh, I've trained my orcas to sink yachts in the ocean. Me. Now I will control the Sea of Gibraltar. No one shall stop me. Like, that sounds like something from 1960s Batman. Okay, so I love how just the Sea of Gibraltar is, is that, that, that's what you go well, that's, to. That's where they started. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, oh, I thought that was really random. I was going to no, be no, like, no. kudos like... for choosing a really cool random place. Well, no, you didn't know that's where it started, but, like, that's where they started, like, you know, off the, the Sea of Gibraltar. But, like, that sounds, again, that sounds... I thought you made it up. Right, but that sounds like something that would happen in a Batman storyline. Like, yeah, I trained my orcas to sink, sink boats of the super rich off the coast of the Sea of Gibraltar. <laughs> That'll teach them. Is his name... Killian R. Whale. No, that's get it. Dumb. Kill or whale. No. Killer whale. Yeah, I I get it, but there's already a, like a killer whale. There's a killer moth too. But it would be. Uh... Does it destroy sweaters? I will destroy your outerwear. No, killer moth is very similar to kite man. Like they both suck. Um. But yeah, kind of to get back to, you know the the. The Batman thing. I know we got off topic, but you have to agree with me. That shit sounds like that's what's going on. It's like, hmm, billionaires, dis you know, descended to the depths of the Titanic and disappeared forever. Ooh, sounds like a dastardly scheme. You know, again, sounds like, you know, how are you controlling it? Hmm, with a $15, you know, video game controller I got on sale at Target. Like, that's... Tell me that's not from 1960s Batman. Oh, 
What are you doing? She's headbutting my elbow for no reason. What were you doing? Was, Did you drop stuff? I thought there was a cat. No, there's not a cat. Oh, she. I went to move no, my I arm. No, I just, I just felt your... a cat. I just felt a cat. No, that was on my leg. I just felt a cat, and then you punched a, me. It was probably a squirrel. No, I moved my arm. And I'm having problems right at home. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so if you haven't seen these, these are uh, streaming on Max, uh, so you can watch actually all four of the, uh, I don't know, the Keaton-verse, or the the Burton-Schumacher-verse. Well, I mean, one really doesn't have much to do with the other. No, but again, it seems like they're all set, and it's the same Alfred every single time, Alfred. Well, I mean, so... Same Alfred, same Jim Gordon, different Harvey Dent's. But, like, it's the same Gotham. It's the same uh, same house, I think, every time. Or it's supposed to be, anyways. Um, so, like, the only thing that changes... It's almost like looking at different multiverses. And if you've seen The Flash, you'll get the reference that I just made. Um, but it's, it's almost, you know, like, these different Batman... Are you know, it, it, again, like I said before, it's this is the 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 universe established by uh, Tim Burton and uh, uh, Michael Keaton and these other guys, you know, Schumacher and and Kilmer and Clooney are just trying to replace him, and like it doesn't work because that's not their home universe, and they can't quite um, it's almost like they got dropped into those universes but they they're the only ones that know that they're not in the right place everyone else seems to think that they're the right Batman they're the right Bruce Wayne's uh, or Bruce I don't know what would the is it Bruce Wayne's or Bruce's Wayne I think it's Bruce's Wayne that's how I'm gonna pluralize it from now on um, but that's you know that's kind of how I choose to look at it. You know, especially now with everything having a multiverse. And um, fun fact: if the Flash movie had come out when it was supposed to in 2014, it would have beaten Marvel to all this multiverse stuff. So, because that was you know two years after the Avengers, Doctor Strange hadn't even come out yet because that was 2016. So, just a just an interest, interesting fact. If they had uh, gotten their stuff together and done what they could have done, what they should have done, we wouldn't be on like our fifth iteration of this universe at this point. But and who's to say that? I mean, so obviously this flash film happened, and this happened before the gun takeover. Yes. Yeah. So who's to say any of this? Made. Yeah. So who's to say any of this is even going to be canon at point? some point yeah well i think that's part of the thing is like they kind of retconned everything and i i haven't seen it but i've watched breakdowns and i know what happens at the end and like what the driving plot of the movie is so it seems like that's what they're trying to do um and i'm sure there were various rewrites um but 
you know, I think this is a, is a a really solid portrayal of Batman, and I I would say uh, it's the closest we have to Batman the animated series is the uh, Keaton version. Um, you know, it's not exactly the same, but I do believe Keaton Keaton played. I think the gray ghost or something like, which is a character that, you know, Bruce Wayne as a kid looked up to kind of like the Lone Ranger or the shadow or something like that. Like it was one of those TV shows. Uh, And Michael Keaton played that character on the animated series, if I'm remembering correctly. And like, they made a really nice episode out of it. And like, you know, like, Oh, you were the, you're the inspiration for me. You're the reason that I'm Mm -hmm. here. Like all these kind of like nods and, and you know, like nudge, nudge, wink, wink to the audience type thing, uh, which I, I always really liked, but I always liked that the 89 and the, uh, the 92 Batman, um, I just thought it was a really well done, uh, piece of cinema at the time. I didn't appreciate it cause I was eight and I didn't really care for Batman. That wasn't like running around like a lunatic, you know, hitting people and having it say Zock and Zork and Kapowza. But well I mean it really is the Hannah Montana of Batman films. You know, you I get the get you, you get the best of both worlds. I I suppose. I don't know. I never watched Hannah Montana or Alaska, Nebraska or uh Joe Hio. I don't know. Joe Hio. <laughs> Gloria Florida. I don't know. That that doesn't uh, okay. Kermit Washington. He was a basketball man. Punched Rudy Tomjanovich right in the face and busted up his whole melon. But uh-huh. uh, yeah. So that's probably a good time to uh, take a quick break. We'll uh, play some ads. We'll play the '92 Batman Returns trailer, and when we come back, uh, we'll wrap things up. So we'll be right back. Time has come to punish all those 
are back so i hope you enjoyed that uh that episode about uh michael keaton as batman i'm sure there's a ton of other stuff that uh we didn't get to um but you know like the whole training of the penguins for the uh penguin march but we're we're gonna kind of save that for when we talk about the penguin and you know there's a lot more about this you know obviously we have to do episodes on you know the other batman rogues villains i mean we're 318 episodes in and we're finally getting around to talking about Michael Keaton as Batman so have some patience with us obviously uh, we'll get to it but you know we have you know we have big plans this weekend uh, this is not only uh, the seventh anniversary of the first ever episode of Throwdown Thursday this Saturday June 24th but I am also embarking on a journey along with Ashes, as part of our brand new uh, production company, Magenta Manor, considering we've talked about Magenta Manor how many times on this show? Pretty much every episode for the last three years. Uh, I will be directing my first ever short film this weekend, and I'm very excited about that. Hopefully, weather permitting. Yes. Uh, If not, we will be... uh, doing a documentary about how sad I am that it's raining. But one way or the other, we're going to film something. Um, I hope. But, you know, fingers crossed that the weather holds out at least long enough for us to uh, to film, because otherwise I will be a very sad man. That makes me a sad <clears throat> panda. But uh, we have uh, battle results for you. And that makes me a happy panda. I'm a happy puppy dog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the last time we recorded uh, our last episode, we threw down a battle. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Battle of the Disney Villains. Which magical maven has what it takes to be the last one standing and reign as Sorcerer Supreme? All powers and abilities applicable. The sandbox was the dead marshes from the Lord of the Rings. And special guest referee was Chris Angel. Mind freak. And you could choose from Ursula the Sea Witch from The Little Mermaid, Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty, Mad Madame Mim from The Sorcerer's Stone, or Dr. Facilier from uh, The Princess and the Frog. Facilier. Facilier. It's French. Um, And you all chose Maleficent. I did too. I Male thought she would just. I mean, she could turn into a freaking dragon. Yeah, you know who else a can? Madame Mim. Breathing dragon. She can. Yes, it's true. She, she can. Did it. But she's a little derpy. 
She is very derpy. Be clean, wholesome sunshine. I hate it. <laughs> he almost beat Merlin. Almost. But, but not quite. Second place is a fancy word for loser. So I owe you all a very fabulous, very delicious sangria recipe that I have been hinting at for a while. So I'm going to give it to you today. Hooray for my wine segment. Uh, so this episode of Vaughn Nightmare Vineyards, I am giving you my summer pink raspberry lemonade sangria. Okay. So I made this for a get together barbecue that we went to and it is so good. And it's so unbelievably simple to make. So think of it this way. A Good sangria, in my opinion, should consist of a wine, obviously, a juice, a liquor, and some fruit. And that's it. And you could come up with so many different ideas based off of, of just that simple recipe alone. So the raspberry sangria, or the raspberry lemonade sangria, consists of a 52-ounce bottle of simple raspberry lemonade, a 750 ml bottle of raspberry vodka, a one and a half liter bottle of pink Moscato, and about a cup or so of, of raspberries. Uh, I use fresh raspberries, but you can use frozen, especially if you plan on consuming it the same day. You can actually add the frozen raspberries in your drink after making it, you know, portion it out. And uh, it can serve as ice cubes to keep your drink cold. So that's fun. Um, but I used fresh raspberries because I actually made this night, the night before. Um, so I kind of muddled the raspberries uh, down and got a little bit of the juices and stuff. And it makes the raspberries uh, slightly more, um, slightly more capable of absorbing the alcohol. Uh, so you can have these fun little raspberries to consume after. But either or, you can use fresh or you can use frozen. Both work. But yeah, so I just poured all of that into a large container, uh, let it sit in the fridge overnight, stirred it up the next day, and it was ready to go. And it was so good. It was so good. If you're not a fan of vodka, you can also use... Okay, so if you're not a fan of vodka... You can use a just a soda, or you can replace it with um, like a, a raspberry liqueur, like a raspberry cordial. Uh, it's going to give it a little bit more of a sweetness. So I wouldn't say, you, you know, maybe don't use a, a whole bottle, but you can definitely get away with using some. Um, or you can just use, you know, like a raspberry ginger ale, you know, and that actually makes a really good mocktail, too. Um mm -hmm raspberry lemonade mixed with raspberry ginger ale fantastic mocktail i agree no that was it was really really good it was very popular uh the kids loved it um it was just their favorite thing of they liked fishing the little raspberries out <clears throat> yes and then uh getting drunk no we uh we made sure to uh to uh clearly label it and let parents know that this is not uh, kid juice. This is this is mama's juice. If you take uh, if you, juice is only juice if you have ice in it. Otherwise, it's just juh. Just so you know. Oh my God, you're so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I just 
got it. <laughs> <clears throat> so, um, that's the show for this week. Next week, um, we're going to be talking about some more fun stuff. We have a few things we're trying to whittle down the list. We're not entirely sure what we're going to do yet. Um, we may be seeing some movies. We might be doing some Barbie stuff in the near future. We are absolutely going to be doing some Barbie stuff in the future because I am a Barbie girl living in a Barbie world, and I cannot wait to see this film. So, um, yeah, we will definitely be doing that. And before we sign off, if you have not checked out episode four specifically of Beneath the Red Umbrella, you absolutely have to. You must. It is fantastic. I mean, Check out all of the episodes. The fifth one just dropped yesterday, um, and it is it is a ride. Brackish it is water. a ride. But uh, and, and episodes one through three are equally as fabulous too. Episode three might be my favorite, although five is fantastic and it's it's difficult. They're all really just great in their own way. Brilliant writing terrific voice acting but uh, episode four is the episode that uh we voiced characters on so that's why i'm saying episode four you should really check out because you know we're we're biased we we did stuff yeah just a little bit but um yeah thanks again to james lamont for having us be a part of the project and you can see his uh interview in the brig with our good friends retro redoctopus over on their page Yes, yes, that just dropped today as well. Yep. So, yeah, definitely check that out. We have a lot of fun stuff. I'm sure next episode we're going to be recounting all of the trials and tribulations and funness of filming in I hope the so. backyard of Worcester, Massachusetts. Up by the airport. <laughs> Um, and we'll have more to talk about next week too some of the stuff that we're working on some of the stuff that's coming down the pike uh, episodes we're working on so yeah it's going to be it's going to be a fun so stay tuned kids but until then we, we will see you, see you next Thursday, Thursday.